Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us in our fourth episode of the podcast. Now, last week, we got a chance to speak with Chandra, who was uh, an individual diagnosed with MS, who's actually pursuing her uh, psychology PhD. So I'd like to give her a thank you for coming on our show. Uh, So today, uh, I really wanted to take a moment to discuss you know, conference presentations, presenting in general, it seems like all walks of life, there's going to be difficulties. uh, And, you know, there's going to be proficiencies for some people in regards to presenting some, you would say some people are more talented than others, but I do believe it takes a certain sense of practice. And, you know, just general preparation in order to get these things done. Uh, I noticed when I was at the uh, you know, National American Manufacturing Research Conference this past week, I was actually an ambassador. I noticed that a lot of people have the case of the mumbles. It seems that, uh, you know, mumbling, uh, you know, it's an engineering conference, of course, and so I don't blame them. A lot of the times, you know, we are speaking only in front of our uh, own friends a lot of the times or professors who we're comfortable with. Then we get in front of a room, in front of a bunch of people, and, and your heart starts beating, you know, your, your mouth goes dry, and you forget your own name, like a friend of mine did during his senior presentation. So, you know, in order to help people get along with this, I felt like it was appropriate to call in uh, what, who I would believe is an expert in the field of not just presenting, but an expert in the field of his own subject. And today's guest is Tim Brown from the Material Science Engineering Department here on campus. So Tim, please give us an opportunity to get to know you. What are your qualifications and what do you do that makes you so passionate about your work and how do you, does your work essentially impact the greater society as a whole? Sure, howdy. So my name is Tim Brown. Uh, I am a fifth year PhD student in the materials science and engineering department. Uh, I did my undergraduate in physics and this sort of continued on from uh, an early age. I was, at some point in high school, I just got good at math and math is great. I think it has a lot of aesthetic and, and beautiful properties. Um, but then at some point when I took my physics class and I was like, whoa, like the stuff I'm doing on paper can describe like balls that you throw and strings, uh, springs that you stretch and, and can help you. Uh, sort of control and design things in the real world. I really fell in love with that. And so throughout my undergrad, I did physics, but I was very fortunate and lucky that I fell into something called engineering physics. So besides taking uh, optics and quantum mechanics and all of these, I also got to do uh, introduction to all of the engineerings. So uh, statics and dynamics from mechanical, circuit theory from electrical, uh, chem one and two, although I was worst at those. I'm really actually very terrible at wet lab chemistry. Um, that's funny you mentioned that because I feel like a lot of us engineers who are, um, you know, I feel like myself included, I'm terrible at chemistry myself. Yeah. <laughs> and see, it seems like uh, that's, you know, that's almost like the, I wouldn't say the make or break, but it's almost like, you know, when you take divergent paths from your friends from those initial physics classes and mm-hmm. like, you know, your general chemistry classes and you're like, I'm really bad at that break off, <laughs> you know, so. Absolutely, and so I, I spent that, uh, doing that for four years. Uh, when I was engineering physics, I was also uh, lucky because I was just enough engineering to be able to do things like engineers without borders, right. and I can maybe talk about some of that later. Yeah, please. Um, but I also uh, failed to take the physics GRE when I was looking at grad schools, okay. so I could not apply to physics programs, and that is how I ended up in materials science, and I'm like I said, I'm so lucky I, I fell into it. I met the advisor that I wanted to work with, and I, I got to go from working more on pen and paper, you know, yeah. calculating equations or, uh, uh, you know, working homework problems to actually, like, doing things with my hands, which fit in more with kind of what I learned I loved with engineers thought borders. Um, but about my work, uh, the materials I work in specifically... Uh, these are phase transforming materials and that's just a fancy way of saying that the material itself can exist in uh, two or more distinct states so maybe it goes from electrically conducting to not electrically conducting Mm -hmm. we say it's a metal insulator transition or it goes from highly magnetic to non-magnetic but there are a lot of applications for these things because typically those properties are kind of bound up in each other so for example uh, if I apply a stress, so I'm kind of changing the mechanical properties of my material, maybe the magnetism shoots up. And mm-hmm. so I can have a magnetic sensor that detects, you know, maybe something's about to fail in a building. Right. Or I can store memory in these different states. Or uh, what my research actually focuses in, uh, there's typically a large uh, energy transfer that's associated when we're switching between states in these materials. And you can put that heat to work, like in refrigeration or something like that. Interesting, interesting. So, 
I mean, those are those sound like some really great applications. Of course, you know, obviously society at large would be very benefiting very much from you know you know probably some of these things, and we'll get to that later. But I did want to talk about this engineering or this engineers without borders, right? That's that's yeah. what the program was called. So. Mm-hmm. It seems like this was a significant part of your life, and I've always been in favor of people, you know, kind of raising their hand and taking the call to essentially go and do some of these really great opportunities, because mm-hmm. they're what gets you to feeling like, you know, oh, this is something I really want to do. Yeah. And so, I'd like you to talk about just, you know, your experience there. How did that shape? Uh, you said that that was the thing that shaped kind of your beginning of your engine, like thinking about engineering as a career. Yeah. Right. So what was it about that experience and how did you even get associated with them as a physics person? Yeah. Uh, great questions. Uh, so <laughs> with most things, uh, as with most things, I got involved with it because someone invited me and after a lot of invitations, they finally dragged me there. So this was a good friend of mine, Weston, that I had several classes like DiffEQ, right. uh, some of our chemical uh, thermodynamics classes as well. And he had been inviting me for a while and I was like, man, you know, I'm... I have my own extracurriculars. I don't really want to get involved with this, but I finally went. And so we had a project which was in uh, Bolivia in a little village called Cotani Picaria. And essentially, um, the, the people up there live up in the mountains. The springs are very cold, and so people were washing with cold water and getting sick and drawing the erroneous conclusion that hygiene was making them sick. So our project was to design some way to heat the water. And some of the richer members of the community already had this. They had electric showers, which were literally electric showers, a wire running through the water. And you can imagine that they got shocked pretty frequently. Wow. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, our solution was to try to have uh, something more robust, more safe. Um, and especially when you're, you're out there on the ground, one of the really cool things is... Uh, the projects have to be sustainable. You have to be able to teach the community how to use them. Mm-hmm. So the materials we had access to were PVC spray paint, you know, PVC cement. So we really had to break it down and make the, the solution as simple as possible. And we essentially came up with a, uh, a PVC pipe that is heated, uh, you know, it's painted black and heated uh, uh, through the, the bottles uh, that we recycled from mm-hmm. all around. So we also got to kind of recycle some materials. In right. it. Uh, and this project was really cool. I mean... We got to go out and meet people. I got to practice my Spanish, and I hadn't done that since high school um, because the the villagers spoke Quechua, but we had a Quechua to Spanish translator, and then I could also do Spanish to English. Uh, so just meeting all of these people, like I said, the the guy who rigged up the electric system in his shower, it wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but you know he was an engineer too, and he had that kind of engineering mind. So just being able to interact with everyone and really uh, figure out how to to tackle this problem with so many constraints and limitations. Uh, that really kind of taught me what engineering was about and especially the huge social impact it could have after the project ended or the next stage of the project I guess and engineers without borders philosophy is implementation and that's basically we're kind of pulling back and we've given them the knowledge and the supplies for how to make this themselves and they maintain it and they make their own Okay. Um, it's kind of like a feed uh, feed a man for a day, or you know, give him a, uh, give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Uh, teach a man a fish and feed him for a lifetime, kind of stuff. But that, that's the exact uh, exact philosophy of EWV, okay. which I think is really good because it doesn't yeah. do that much good if you bring something in and then you're the only one that knows how to use it, and then right. you leave, and then it just falls into disrepair, right? Or even worse is you're the only one who knows how to install it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to make it. Or you no, know, it's like you you gave them. It's like imagine giving them two showers. And then you're like, hey, enjoy your two showers. There's like uh, 400 or 500 <laughs> people in your village. Like, whoa, okay. Exactly. Now, you know, so I feel like uh, that's, that's a good thing, you know, because I feel like, uh, I feel like it, people, people think it's really just great to, to give people things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't see that as a bad thing. Like, you know, you see a, see a homeless person on the street, you know, give them, give them a dollar, you know, is that, you know, ha- had some tough times, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But, if, you, but if, if it's like a friend, for example, and it's just, you know, you, you, he, he just wants you to like, you know, it's like the difference between like someone like giving you the answers to like, you know, homework and they're, they're trying to like get better in the class versus like teaching them how to actually do their own homework. So they can pass the test. So they can pass the test. Questions. Exactly, exactly. I so. absolutely agree. So, uh, okay, so moving, moving on, let's, let's go ahead and uh, go further. Can into... I tell you a quick anecdote? Oh, yeah, this, absolutely. This should hopefully bring a smile to your face. Uh, while we were there, uh, we ran into a plumbing problem. Oh, yikes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we had to fix it, but we didn't have a, plum- a plunger. 
So <laughs> we, we had to devise a way to make a plunger. And so what we ended up doing was uh, cutting the top off of a plastic bottle and lining it with balloons because we had had balloons for, I can't remember why. Uh, uh, we had the balloons to fill up and reinflate bottles so we could use it for our system. So we basically duct taped okay. you know, balloons so we could have a rubber seal on the bottom of a plastic bottle. Wow. With a PVC pipe. You know. <laughs> it just was just plunging a toilet. Yep. I got... So like I said, uh, bare, bare minimum, is huge it, constraints. Is it weird that I have this strange image, like now you don't even know where the balloons are from. I have this weird image of like a clown or something. Somebody that like brighten everyone's day somehow they're like making these balloon animals and this is where you got a bunch of balloons from. I don't know, I don't know why I've gotten that image in my mind, but it just, that, 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 uh, that definitely brought a smile to my face. So you're absolutely right. But, uh, so, I mean, that, that's interesting though, because it's like, not, not only did you have to like come up with your own ways to create uh, a, a shower, but you also had to come up with your own plunger. Yeah. And I don't think anyone has ever, you know, we, we take those amenities for granted. You go to Walmart, you get a plunger. Yep. You know, you go to, the, you, you can even get a plunger delivered to you these days from services like Favor or like, you know, some of those other helpful delivery services. And it's like, people like forget how to like actually, uh, you know, do, you, it's almost like MacGyver. Yeah. You basically MacGyvered a plunger. That's exactly what I learned from Engineers Without Borders. Yeah. Is, is that I loved being MacGyver. You know, and that's, and that's great. And I feel like that's uh, a lot of, I feel like a lot of engineers, especially, they have this mentality of either building or crafting something on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was like, when I was a kid, I liked to play with like Legos, you know, and that's like their standard, yeah. or, you know, you build stuff up, everything kind of makes sense. They all have a certain amount um, of block. the blocks have certain amounts to them so you can figure it out and not like try to diagonalize your blocks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you had constraints to work with them. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it, it was almost like teaching you, you know, even, even tolerances even, and it was almost like teaching you like, you know, you can build up something and you could create this on your own. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see like what kinds of people have actually engaged in these sorts of, you know, uh, mental processes. Cause I feel like it's like a worthwhile thing for more people to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, even, even though you had to think on your feet, it's still a great experience, right? Like now, you know, you can make a plunger out of a <laughs> you know, freaking PVC pipe and you know, the plastic bottle, the, yeah. plastic bottle and some balloons. <laughs> Uh, I'm really, I am really completely curious now where you got the balloons, like why that we, was the thing. Uh, we, we bought them at some point, like, like I was saying, uh, we recycled the bottles that we yeah. ended up using for the greenhouse effect mm-hmm. on our, our PVC pipe, but they were smushed up and dirty, so right. we had to wash them up, but also uh, inflate them, and so we would put the, bo- uh, the balloon inside the bottle, mm-hmm. and then fill up the balloon, and as the balloon inflated, it would reinflate the bottle. Ah, okay, that makes sense. And that was cool. The the village kids helped us out with that, and so we, you know, we got to play yeah. with them, have a little bit of a water fight. And, yeah. Um, you mean bring the smile to the kids' faces. So this was like what? This was in high school, or undergrad. You said this was uh, undergrad. Okay. Uh, I don't know if Engineer South Borders operates on the high school level, but if, mm-hmm. if they do, people should look into it. Right. 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 Okay. Um. So let's go ahead and fast forward a little bit to uh, grad school times. Right. So you mm-hmm. said. You, by, by almost like a, a, not like a free guy, so now I, I want to say it's more of like a, a chance opportunity. A it chance was luck. Op- yeah. Opportunity knocked and I opened the door. Right. And so, I mean, but it came out of what you would maybe have said uh, was a little bit of misfortune. Maybe you missed, did you miss the f- physics GRE or you just didn't take it in general? Uh, uh, sort of both. This was at the end of uh, my fall semester okay. of, uh, of uh, senior year of undergrad. Okay. And I... I just had a miserable breakup, and I just did not, like, care. I was thinking I would maybe even go into the workforce, and so I just could not motivate myself to take the subject GRE for physics, and so also when I was applying to grad schools, uh, one of my professors, like, didn't even send out the rec letter on time, and I was like, fine, you know, that's just a sign too, not going to grad school at all. Um, So, yeah, I I was not... uh, you know, maintaining my goals, I guess, during that time. But like I said, it led me to what I think is a better place. I'm think a lot happier in material science than I think it would be in physics. Okay, so I mean, I guess uh, I, don't, I don't mean to like make you go down memory lane in places that you <laughs> might not want to go, but I think this will be helpful there. for anybody. Uh, you know, we did have a discussion in the first podcast we had with an individual who her life trajectory had gone from going into uh, one career and then halfway finding out that, you know, it wasn't really for her and now having to change gears, but mm-hmm. you kind of had a different predicament. And this is something I've, I've also noticed too, is like, you know, 
we're, we're, we're people who need, who are, you know, relate with each other and, you know, we need to have those sorts of things in our lives as well. And so I can understand from my own personal experience, you know, feeling really low and stuff uh, during those periods of time, but it did seem like there was a level of persistence that did bring you here. Yeah. So can you make some, you know, commentary about sort of the journey that brought you from that very low point? Cause you know, you, you have a bad breakup. It's, yeah. you're going to be one of the lowest of the low at that point, right? Sure, Everybody's sure. had him. Everybody's had him. Everyone's had him. You Absolutely. know, and so, you know, talk about just when you're, when you're low like that and you're, you know, you did say like, you, you felt like it was almost like signs that, you know, <laughs> you weren't going to go to grad school, but yet here you are. Yeah. So what, what, what mindset were you in and how did you overcome that? How was that feeling and foreboding feeling able to be, overcome and, and essentially beaten because here you are sure you know so uh i say you know i, I fell into things where i was lucky uh, at times I, I guess what i mean by that is i was lucky enough to have people around me to believe in me or help me out so the okay. the spring semester after that um first of all i, I got a contact from uh, the person before jules her mm-hmm. name was jan oh yeah jan um, gerson yes which basically just said uh you know we don't have all your materials, but, uh, you know, we, we were impressed with your application. Can you send a CV? And so I at least did that. I forced myself to do that step, even though I was still sort of in the down place. Yeah. And that ended up leading to me being able to get funding through uh, a fellowship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that picked me up. And then also uh, my spring semester, I had uh, an honors course uh, with someone named Ben Peters at University of Tulsa. Okay. Um, and just his class is super interesting he does he's in the media studies department but what he's interested in is cybernetics and thinking about how people are like machines and how we are not like machines and maybe what makes us different and so we read some things uh, about the logical positivists Mm -hmm. the vienna circle Uh, these are some interesting historical topics people might look into um, but eventually leading into like alan turing and the invention of the computer okay um and just him kind of reading. This was an honors course, so we did a lot of discussion-based things and writing. Um, just his support mm-hmm. sort of gave me that confidence again, which was important because I was actually in that class with my ex. Huh. So. Yikes. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> That's so, awkward. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, um, you know when two people get, like, let's say, for example, a couple gets a job, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they break up, and yeah. they have to see each other every day, or, or you know more mercifully they have shifts that are different or they can pick up whatever shifts but um, when a couple breaks up like when a couple breaks up and you have to see that person often that's not fun especially in like a group discussion class Ooh, but, yeah that, that reminds me my mom uh, had told me at one point uh she had a master's and on her committee uh there were two professors yeah. who uh were divorced so she had a divorced pair of professors on her committee so it's oh. definitely like one would be like i think you should do this and the other one would you know, give the opposite message just to spike the other one. You know, oh, It'd be a very hard committee to please. Yikes. Okay, so that that's okay. So that's interesting actually, in <laughs> itself. So I I don't know obviously how much you know about it, but so were those two actually together when she made the committee? I think they were. Oh, and then yeah. <laughs> so so then you're saying over time <laughs> that that split happens. So not only does that, I guess that's also overcoming adversity, but not <laughs> someone only, else's adversity. Yeah you're, you're, yeah, you're not even overcoming your own adversity. Two people's adversity has now been like forced its way into your <laughs> life, and now you must overcome someone else's adversity. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought I thought only you know my own adversity was my own issues, but clearly you know like <laughs> that's not actually the case. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, then okay. So you obviously, uh, you, you get, um, you know, sort of a offer letter from Jan. You, mm-hmm. you get to put all this stuff together. Uh, they fly me out and I get to interview with people. Okay. Okay. So uh, d- discuss that interview process because you're still, oh, are you man. still feeling kind of down still or like how, how are things going with you at this point? Uh, by that point I was okay. But this the, I remember that the night before I was flying out to A&M, uh, yeah. I didn't get a lot of sleep because, uh, we lived on the bottom floor of the apartment and the people above us had decided to put like just a ton of like rotten cabbage down the garbage disposal. And since we were below them, that's came unfortunate. Up <laughs> our sink. Oh, okay. That's extremely unfortunate. So I was up to like two in the morning the night before getting towels and uh, oh. trying to, to put 
get rid of the cat. The oh, cat. wow. Okay. okay. So that was interesting. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm in the airport uh, trying to quickly kind of refresh my memory on oh. uh, the faculty that, that work in material science. And frankly, mm. like I'm, I'm underprepared for a lot of my interviews. Right. Like I have no idea what shape memory alloys are or right. why they're exciting. And I mean, when you're in material science, you just know that that is a very hot topic right now. Right. Um, so I think my, my interview with Dr. Karaman and probably uh, Dr. Radovich as well, I don't think I impressed very much just because I was coming from a physics background and I didn't know sort of what the, the issues were. So yeah. in response to one of the later questions, what I would do differently, it would definitely be uh, if you're thinking about changing your career, you need to research into it right. and not just, uh, you know, figuring out... Uh, typical grad school things you find out about are like how often your advisor wants to meet if they mm -hmm. have funding that kind of thing but also like you know what are the serious problems and why do we care otherwise all the research topics kind of blend together you're like these are big words and I don't know the groups are studying them and I think I think you bring up a good point there is um, I feel like a lot of people just kind of get roped in sometimes to like you know your graduate study and, and the thing is it's like you should really and I find that this is a problem with even my master's degree and that's why like I'm glad I switched over uh, to a new advisor uh, mm -hmm. because I feel like I wasn't happy doing I was I was happy doing science but mm -hmm. I wasn't happy doing like the, the topic it was an interesting topic but it just it's not really it was corrosion and mm -hmm. uh, you know it wasn't uh, there were hydrogen brittlement there's not really like there were tomes written Mm -hmm. like Bibles written on hydrogen enrollment. And now that I'm working more on a cutting edge field, which is like added manufacturing, uh, oh, working, okay. you know, cobalt, chromium, molybdenum basically right now, mm -hmm. we're doing like coatings and stuff. Right I, I'm looking at it like, okay, so we have interesting problems to figure out. Not only that, we have this sort of cutting edge technology that still has yet to be harnessed fully. We don't know how it works really. Yeah. Like, what power do I need to use yeah. to get some temperature profile? Yeah. Right. So <clears> it, it's just, I wanted, I wanted to essentially take all those principles and put them, you know, into my own startup, which would eventually turn into my own franchise. But it's, you know, for me, you know, I had always been sort of like uh, entrepreneurially inclined, but I feel like some people, they, they just come and they're like, I can just do whatever thing I'm going to do. I'm going to go get a job. And it's, 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 it's almost like this plug and shuck. And I know engineers, our favorite motto is plug and shuck. It's like our favorite <laughs> problem. You just put some numbers in. We're good. Yeah, number three points on the exam. Yeah, you're good. But it, it, but see, it's those questions that I feel like as we progress through our careers and our lives, mm -hmm. we want those easy plug in questions, but they don't make you think. And unfortunately they also create bad habits in us as individuals to mm -hmm. where we're actually, you know, we're not thinking creatively. We're not questioning if we like something. We're not, you know, taking that extra step in our lives to really ask ourselves, are we doing something that we feel like are making contributions to society mm -hmm. or even, you know, th cause that's the reality of it is that everybody has their life. I feel like to make uh, their own contributions and, and, and whatnot. It's whether you answer the call or not that, that determined whether you're going to, you know, be that type of person or not. And I feel like, you know, um, so, you know, I feel like th those sorts of questions and even some, you know, some of those like, easier, like, uh, tasks that are easy to do, they kind of just make your mind go into a malaise. Mm -hmm. they, they keep you from being the type of person that can actually question, you know, all of these different things. You know, you don't just say, you, you know, you look at all these like choices and you're like, you know what, I'll just choose this one. Like you shouldn't do that. You should do your foot, you know, you should do your leg work. You got to go and see, you, you should go research into what it is that you're doing. And that was something that I didn't do at the beginning. I was just like, well, I'll just pick somebody. It's fine. I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. No, that's, you should never do that. You yeah. know, not only do you have to do, like you said, uh, have a good fit with your professor. You want to make sure you, you know, you, the hours are good. You want to make sure that you can do the meeting times. You want to just make sure that everything, lo the logistics are fine, but you also want to make sure that uh, your your mental capacity, and I don't mean that in terms of like, are you able to actually do the work and do the equations, do the modeling or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean in terms of actually, does it stimulate your mind in such a way that you feel like you could actually do this? Yeah. And, and for X amount of years, because you could be in it for the long haul, you might one day actually like it enough to be a professor, or you might one day like start your own business, or you might one day, you know, like, who knows, like you might be one day starting, you know, your own consultation service or like something like that. So, you know, there's, there, like you said, I, and I appreciate you saying that because so many people just think I'm just going to plug and chug this experience mm -hmm. and it's just going to sh spit out what I hope. Yeah. And that's just not how 
I really think anything works other than those kinds of questions and you know maybe some very simplistic operations uh, for you know some devices you use like yes you, you'll get you'll get what you want to but when you're talking about your own life you need to take a lot more investment and stake into what you're doing so uh, I really do appreciate that but I also wanted to ask you so in and of itself you you did say that uh, you know you, you kind of had uh, you know a little question of confidence so when, when when the cabbage thing happens, yeah. Well, you said that before. You had a, you were like, oh, this is a sign. I shouldn't go. I can't get any of these letters from this professor. Blah blah blah. So oh. when the when the cabbage thing happens, <laughs> why why did that not deter you? Why did that not shut the operation down? At that? I knew I knew you were going to go the next night, of course, and maybe yeah, it was yeah. just your feeling that you needed to go there. But I why? I think I, I just had. I had a good gut feeling, and I think there should be more said for gut feelings, like you said, because whether you're going to get along with your professor, whether you're passionate about your research, that's not something that you logic out. No. That's something that you you feel in your gut, and I had a good feeling about uh, A&M talking with with Jan and everyone. Uh, The cabbage thing was certainly a bummer. Uh, (laughs) I needed quite a bit of coffee the next morning. Yikes. Um, But... You know, we had towels. My, my roommate was so worthless during it, too. He just, like, didn't know what to do. I was like, get towels. Like, yeah. we got to stop this up. <laughs> Keep it off the floor. He's just, like, freaking out. Like, what do we do, man? Yeah. <laughs> but you can also think of that as, as sort of a confidence booster. Because, like, you know, I had a ton of interviews, and I was nervous about them. Because I don't think I had had a whole lot of professional interviews at that point. Yeah. It was like, you know, man, I, I, I just fixed this horrible stupid problem that could have been really bad in my apartment last night i can right. at least handle these guys and that and okay so you you actually turned it almost into a positive or not even into a positive but you actually did turn it like basically into a positive like this galvanizing force where you oh, said, i thought about it sure yeah yeah. yeah 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 that's cool that's cool um because i know i know for me uh <laughs> funny story when i when i come i came here actually uh jan jan had basically gotten uh, I don't know if I should actually have that, but Jan, Jan had basically gotten like canned at the time, and so um, I, I didn't even sh- uh, take an interview here. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even know what this place looked like until I got off the plane. Mm-hmm. So I I legitimately get wow. this yeah no I get this offer letter saying hey we're gonna you know pay for this blah 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 and I was like yes I'll go so you know I was like okay I'm going here and so I worked for five months mm-hmm. I I I'm in like San Jose I get on this plane. I, you know, I'm just like, okay, just keep an open mind. When you, when you go from the West Coast and you start, and you start like going towards East and especially towards College Station, yeah, it, you see less city and you see more emptiness. It was like an abyss basically, or like, you know, a vortex of like green and flat. And I, I start freaking out, yeah. you know, and I'm like, oh, oh my God, like this, this is what's happening. And I start having this crisis of did I make a mistake? What the I'm hell now in am I doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm now invested in this place and I have to be here now and I'm just freaking out. Mm-hmm. I get off the plane and it's like all humid and stuff and I was just like <laughs> I made a mistake like this is this is a mistake, you know. Uh-huh. But I want to I, I want to, you know, point out that it was when I did get a chance to meet Dr. Karaman. It was the chance when I did get a chance to at that point meet Jules. Yeah. You know, those are the people who they welcome you in, they get you set up. And that's the great thing, like, you know, both of us being from the same department, that's the great thing about those people is because mm-hmm. they, they are people who will make sure that you're taken care of, you know, and Absolutely. even, even with you having come in with a physics degree, even though they were on the end of interviewing you kind of in a more professional context, they still made you feel like, you know, even if like, let's say you were even somebody who they weren't considering strongly, which I, I had a feeling that they probably were considering you strongly, like from the get go. Mm-hmm. But even if they, if they weren't, if you, they weren't like considering you strongly, I feel like they still would have treated you with the same amount of respect and still like try to bring you up with the same amount of, you know, uh, just essentially just trying to prop you up like you were somebody who mattered. And I very much appreciate that about my experience here is that. You know, it's a department where a lot of people really do like to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really great thing. I would absolutely <clears throat> second that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> okay. So now, now we're, now we're at A&M, right? So you've already done the interviews. And so mm-hmm. what, what, what happens after that? Like what, what goes on? Like what gets you, what makes you, helps you make the decision? Was this the so only I, offer on the table or? I, I should go back to the interview process. So yeah. this, this wasn't the only option on the table. I also had an offer from uh, the university of Texas. Oh, oh okay. And there they had, uh, I don't know. They had a different system for picking students where basically you would rank people and they would rank you and make a formal offer but it was 
uh, I don't know, it was just a, a lot quicker. Decisions were being made without sort of maybe getting to know people uh, as much. And so I, I got an offer letter. Uh, UT was my second visit. I had already visited A&M and had a pretty good time there, mm-hmm. uh, visiting with the students and everything. And uh, the, the professor who made me an offer there, I just didn't quite feel as invested in the research and mm-hmm. maybe personality, I didn't quite feel uh, the mesh. Okay. In contrast, when I was at A&M, uh, a lot of the interviews... Uh, I guess there were there were a couple professors that I was kind of like, hey, you know, this this guy I respect a lot, and I think I could right. work with. Uh, Dr. Chahun uh, is one, and I mean, molecular dynamics. He is a physicist. You know, that would have been a good pairing. Yeah. Um, but like I said, things happen, and if you keep your eyes open, you can see how lucky you are. Uh, I, I just happened to go to dinner with a brand new faculty, uh, Patrick Schamberger, yeah. and when I went to dinner with him and his wife, it was just like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for all day, <laughs> like, this conversation and this like understanding, uh, you know, sort of just mutual interest in some of the same problems and sort of our, our mutual love for mathematics and uh, rigor and, and things like that. And so I, I just kept in touch with them, and eventually he was the one who made the formal offer through the university. <laughs> Uh, I kept in touch with them through the summer, started working on some MATLAB stuff, with, which later became uh, sort of maybe the first half of my thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of liked that uh, method a little bit more, where you kind of, you go to dinner and you're not just talking about research, and you're actually talking about, you know, why do you want to be here, and, you know, why do you want to be here? Because we were both coming at the same time, you mm-hmm. know, what, what brings both of us to, to A&M. Sort of finding those commonalities and then putting the money on the table. I right. that worked better for me, and I'm sure the other way uh, that UT does works for other people as well. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it all, it all depends on, like, I guess, personality-wise, and it mm-hmm. seems, to me, that sounds a little impersonal, to not get to know someone and have this ranking system. And I think, like, you know, that's my biggest knock, actually, about any kind of admission system. Is Absolutely. You don't, and I mean, you have 20 minutes to talk with someone and decide if you're going to spend five years with them. Right. And, and also, you know, even like, let's say when you're coming from high school, even to college, it's just, mm-hmm. you have that admissions process. And I understand you're getting applications from everywhere. There's no way to streamline this, which I mean, hey, if there's anybody out there who has some kind of crazy algorithm that can help people, it, no matter what you do, you're, you're missing that personality component. Mm-hmm. You're missing that component of really getting to know somebody like, how much do you get to know about somebody when they write this silly little essay about their <laughs> life, you know? Yeah. You're, you mean to tell me that you want someone to condense 18 years of their life? Some people come in later on in their lives too, so they, that might be from 18 to you 26. Know, 26. Yeah. Some people are 30 even when they come in. Uh-huh. You know, they might be in the military. You expect mm-hmm. someone to condense that period of their life in some kind of two-page essay mm-hmm. that's somehow going to magically tell you everything about them or their character or their personality. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's rather unreasonable and, I mean, in, in my opinion, a little just silly. But, uh, you know, yeah. perhaps that you know, perhaps that's just my own experience. I don't think I made some of the greatest, like, college applications myself. I don't think I took them as seriously as I could have. But I also don't think I take much of the whole like dog and pony show of college. Like I wouldn't have taken the admissions process seriously in general anyway. Uh-huh. Um, I just think it's really rather silly. But um, <clears throat> I like your idea with the algorithm. They should have some people from OKCupid working in the college admissions scene. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, it would be funny if they had eHarmony. Except, yeah. Like eHarmony's like people just go and actually like start doing college admissions and be like. Wow, you know, like this this school does this. Oh, we have all these people who are interested in this. Okay, Absolutely. and we can, you know, and obviously now we can funnel them and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I and I might actually play around with that. We'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but I also wanted to actually go back with. So now you've gotten your offer now, mm-hmm. but you know, so you 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 said that you felt good in your gut about it, right? So you actually had this good gut feeling, which I actually feel like is an important portion of this is why I feel like a lot of people don't get things done is uh, they they ruminate and they sit there and they think and they think but there's a feeling within yourself and you're like well you know I can do this and you just go with it because it feels good in your gut mm-hmm. so what you know how, how do you listen to that as you as a person yeah you know how, how does that instinct or that gut feeling hit you and you're like you know what this is this is the decision I've got to make Mm-hmm. And so, how does how did that help you in this decision making process? And when how do you listen to that? How do you better develop that? Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact number. Have you heard of like the eighty five percent rule? Uh, are you are you, you think like the Pareto, the eighty twenty, or is uh, it eighty five percent? 
I can't remember if it's related to Pareto, but what the the rule is basically if you're eighty five percent sure of something, or if you think you are, you should do it. Ah, okay, don't wait okay. to be a hundred percent sure of anything, or you'll miss your opportunity. I like. There's that. too much uncertainty, um, and so don't be a hundred percent sure. Just be around like eighty five percent sure. And so when I was at A and M, uh, you know, I I had a a great dinner with who would become my professor. Mm-hmm. I even took some time. I think I might have missed an interview actually, which didn't look great. But I took some time to walk around the campus and like see kids walking to class. Yeah, so yeah. you kind of have to search for some of that uh, external information. You have to know, uh, especially if you're, you're talking about, you know, you can ruminate on things, you can overthink them, and try to bring in too much data when really you can decide based off of one, two, or three things. Right. And you have to decide what those three things are for you. So for me, a personal uh, connection was important. Mm-hmm. I needed to have a fairly friendly uh, working relationship with my advisor. You know, we, right. we ask about each other's family sometimes, we joke around, but we're also very creative and collaborative uh, in our research and our meetings and things like that. That was really important for me. Cool. Um, I don't know, feeling sort of on home, uh, at home on the campus. Uh, I remember UT has a beautiful campus, yeah. but it also has edges. Like as soon, as soon as you step off campus, there's a huge street, and then you know there's there's the city around it. Where I I feel like uh, the campus with a uh, college station is more integrated into the city. Interesting. And that was something I think I had learned from my undergrad. University of Tulsa is very much the same way of being isolated. Like it's here, and downtown is here, and it's really hard to get from here to downtown, mm. and the public transit's not great. So that was uh, sort of one thing I was looking for as well. Um, and I have those three important things, and so I can deal with the humidity. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I see that. But that takes some some introspective thought, right? Right. To have Indeed. sort of figured out, and frankly, it takes some bad experiences. I had some bad research experiences at the University of Tulsa, where I had professors I didn't get along with as well, or that uh, didn't. I, I felt like it wasn't collaborative. They just kind of told me what to do, and mm. then I went and tried to do it. And then if I couldn't do it, they were mad at me. And right. You know, there wasn't really kind of any exchange or working together there. And so I knew I didn't want that, and I knew kind of what to look for. Of course. To make more decisions later. So, okay. So, you know, I find that really interesting that, that you, the edges. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a, like a good thing or bad thing, but it is, it's just so funny because it's just like, oh, I would have never thought of that. Yeah. I would have never thought of that. But um, more importantly, I feel like the 85% uh, certainty, mm-hmm. I like that because... Let's be real here. Uh, everybody who's ever said, I'm a, I say I'm 100% sure all the time. And yet I'm like 85% sure about the stuff I'm 100% sure about. I just go with it. You know, and, and it's, it's funny because I consistently have said that sort of stuff. Like, I'm 100% sure it's this. And in my mind, I'm like, that, that's BS. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, you know, that, that's a great way to look at it because some people will sit there and you're never going to be completely sure about something. I mean, there's you too know, much uncertainty in the world. Exactly. And, yeah. Noise and the signal. Right, right, right. And so I, I think it's funny because it's just like, okay, you know, think about this. Like, there were people who thought the the sun revolved around the earth, and they were a hundred percent sure. Hundred percent sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, that was like biblical law. Like the like there's people in churches who were like uh, you know also like running around saying this stuff. So everybody was a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. So in reality, eighty five percent is actually probably a hundred percent. You know, and like let's the truth of the matter is mm-hmm. that's really how things are. But I, but Absolutely. I, I know you've seen some people, and we've all seen some people in our lives where. You, you go up to them and, and, and it's just like, they, they need to have not just all the facts, they need to spend like 20, like, you know, mm-hmm. 20 hours thinking about it. You know, somebody, you know, something as, as simple as what fridge am I going to get? Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's just like, you rather than, that's, I feel like as smart as you can be, you could be, you know, you could also be dumb in a sense because you're spending so much time thinking about something that's so unnecessary you're not actually taking action. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what's good about what you're saying is like there's actually an action component. You've actually now taken action. You can't, you know, you weren't 100% sure about your opportunity here, but you're 85% sure and it at least caused you to go and put the plans into action. I decided to make a plan. I decided to come here. I decided to, you know, give it my best shot mm-hmm. and look what happened. Now you're here. Exactly. So that's, that's really great. Great. And so I guess, uh, you know, yeah, if I could add on to that also, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're 85% sure, then there's a 15% chance of things going wrong. And mm-hmm. I think people, you know, like, you overfocus on that. 
but I, I feel like what I've learned is there's no such thing as bad experience. You either learn you don't like something and that just makes you more introspective and empowered to make a decision later on. Right. So even if, you know, if you're not completely sure and you're afraid of, of the bad consequences, if you're 85% sure, do it anyway. The consequences right. aren't as bad usually as you think. No, and that's, <laughs> that's typically, see, that, and that's typically what brings people, uh, keeps people from doing the things they want to do is mm-hmm. we're always thinking about like worst case scenario, which yeah. it's not bad to factor in your worst case scenario when you're making a design, for example. You don't want to make a design where you don't consider, oh, this bridge <laughs> could fall down on some people and kill them. That's what I'm saying. Florida International. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you know, maybe you want to consider the worst case scenario in the case where some people's lives might be affected. Sure. But if we're talking about, uh, you know, if you're talking about like what kind of computer do I want to get? Yes, that's important. But if you shouldn't be spending two weeks thinking, <laughs> oh my God, what do I do? I don't understand. Or like you shouldn't spend two, like, you know, uh, for the guys out there, you shouldn't spend two weeks trying to figure out how you're going to ask that girl in your class out or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't just stare at her from a distance. She probably thinks you're creepy. You know, you should just go up, maybe just ask her how her day's going and just, you know, maybe like, you know, let your conversation lead into like, you know, doing stuff out of class. Or perhaps if you're somebody who wants to go join a team or something, you, you know, you might want to practice, of course, don't just try and join soccer if you don't know how to kick a soccer ball but you know if you do know how to do these things and you have a certain level of confidence in yourself you should just go and just check it out so mm-hmm. I think people just need to take a, a little bit more action in their lives and I'm not saying that I'm even the complete best at this I definitely need to work on that myself and that's the beauty of hearing mm-hmm. this from other people is I, there's things that I'm, I found that I even need to work on that I didn't even know I needed to work on uh-huh. which is cool so um, okay so now we're, we're here at A&M so I guess now, now that you're here, you've been doing your research, you've been chugging along, talk about some of these like crucial obstacles that have been sort of in your path that have defined you now from whence you came here to now you, you've been here, you've had the five-year plan. Tell me about, you know, these cha- like any challenging decisions and what were some of the great tools and resources, whether it was people who were, you know, I'm sure people here were great, but I want to just hear from you, you know, some of the routines that you did, maybe some books that you read, like. What were great resources and what were some of the challenging decisions and crucial obstacles that defined Tim Brown as an individual from whence he came to now? Mm-hmm. That's quite a question. Yeah, I know. So I, sh- I should a have, big setup. I should have yeah. broken it maybe into pieces. But let's just start, okay, with the with, crucial with obstacles and then obstacles. we'll talk about the, uh, the, the stuff that helped you. So let's start sure. with the crucial obstacles. So I, I would say... Um, uh, classwork is, is something that I've just been good at usually. That was yeah. not really uh, an obstacle for me. Mm-hmm. The main obstacles were maybe kind of uh, getting involved, and certainly with research. Uh, anyone who is in material science knows that our field is al- alphabet soup. We have all these experimental yeah. techniques like XRD, like SEM, yeah. like, you know, yeah. XPS, etc. Um, and sort of understanding what the heck these things are, uh, what they're good for, when they're not good, uh, these were all big obstacles that I had because I would like reserve time on a machine and then, you know, the experiment would just not be appropriate for what I was trying to do. Right. So, for example, uh, x-ray photoelectron spectroscopy can tell you basically composition, how much of each type of atom you have, but it only works on the surface of the material. Yeah. So if you want to do the bulk of the material, it's not going to work. Right. Uh, and these kind of things, uh, I had approached with my advisor before, um, but, you know, uh, it's on the, the student to sort of build their own learning as well. And really, who helped me out was other grad students. Uh, yeah, yeah. People older than me, Nick Barda, uh, Amy Bolin, Hande uh, Asuka, and all of these people uh, would spend five minutes talking with me and would save me a whole lot of time or give me some advice. Or, and that, that still happens today. I was having a conversation with Ian McHugh the other day talking about sort of what I'm trying to do in an experiment. And we talked about sort of the, the finer details of polishing and doing a backscatter diffraction experiments. Mm-hmm. So people are, are absolutely resources in grad school, and not only the, the ones in your department. One of the things I've really enjoyed in the last couple of years is we started collaborating with a group, uh, Dr. Banerjee's group in chemistry. Oh, okay. And so I've gotten to interact with some of their grad students and, uh, and postdocs. And that, that's been nice because, you know, we have the meeting and everyone's presenting data. But then afterwards, you know, we'll like text each other like, hey, you know, do you have an hour this afternoon? Can yeah. you run over? I have a question about this slide you made or right. something. And especially getting, you know, uh, their perspective and being able to work with people who are good at wet chemistry, right. who can yeah. use their hands in the lab. Uh, that's been really cool uh, to, to get that sort of interaction and, and interplay with them. 
Um, let's see, other obstacles. Getting involved. Uh, but you are involved. You're quite involved in quite a few organizations, actually. I am now. Uh, but when it first started, I, I think uh, maybe my first half year or year or so, I just was not reaching out. I went to a couple AGPCC events. Yeah. I'd seen you there, uh, but I didn't really follow up on any of those. And for the most part, I was feeling... Uh, just sort of not involved or, or lonely. Um, and that changed. I remember uh, basically Dr. Chamber was like, hey, you need to put a poster together. You've been here for like a year. You need mm. to, to present your research somewhere. Yeah. And so uh, Material Advantage had put together a poster symposium. Right. And so I went to that. But then uh, afterwards, I also kind of like helped the organizers clean up and like mm. do things like that. So then I got to go and eat with them at the bar across the street. And that's when I got closer to uh, Nick Barda and Amy Bolin. And eventually, uh, <laughs> Amy was like, hey, check it out. I'm a fifth-year grad student. I cannot be president anymore. You're going to – I need someone to cover. And apparently, you're, like, the only one involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I got involved with Material Advantage. And, again, you know, I was president out of nowhere. I had been a leader in some of my clubs in undergrad, but, like, sort of uh, smaller roles, maybe like mm-hmm. a secretary. Going straight to president uh, was a big jump you know, organizing meetings, trying yeah. to understand how people work together. And I would do things probably differently uh, if I could go back. That was definitely a big learning experience. Uh, but we got to organize some lab tours, some uh, poster symposium, things like that. And from there, I just kept getting involved. Amy Bolin kept founding clubs. So she also founded <laughs> Women in Materials Science. Oh, that was her. Yeah, she oh. founded, well, she was president of Material Advantage. She kind of brought it back to life because I think it had been languishing a little bit. Uh, so yeah, major shout out to her, but she also founded Women in Materials Science, which is a, an organization uh, involved entirely around outreach to try to get uh, you know, younger women like Girl Scouts, middle mm. school students interested in science early on so that they can hopefully make it further down the pipeline, all the way down the pipeline, right. ideally. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, <clears throat> you, yeah, so you've got some resources in terms of other people, and I've found that other people have been, you know, some of the number one resources, like almost like a mentor kind of thing. It mm-hmm. seems like those people kind of like took you under their wing, brought you in. It's amazing how many people will help if you just ask. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, here's the thing is like, I feel like a lot of people feel like they got to go on this journey on their own. Uh-huh. Like it's some kind of like, you know, it's some kind of like hell they have to go through in order to like find heaven or something, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And so I, I think it's funny sometimes when people are like, you know, people are just like, I'm, I'm all on my own. I have to do this on my own. It's like, did, did you, uh, did you ask anyone? You know, like, did you ever ask for help? Did you ever consider that Talking other people, people in your lab? At least? Yeah. Like yeah. other people actually, you know, a, like aren't awful people and just want to like keep you from like succeeding. Cause there, there are some people who think that there are some mm. people who, who feel like, I need to do this on my own because, uh, you know, I'll other people have to get me. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, especially and then, in academia. Yeah. And, and unfortunately I w- I'm not going to be so naive as to say that doesn't exist, but yeah, that never happens, you know, but, but there, I mean, but I would say that that's far and far between, mm-hmm. uh, especially in our, like our environment here. So I think it's really great that you mentioned all the kind of like mentorship, uh, sort of mentors that actually came through and just basically even giving that giving you five, 10 minutes of your time is like precious, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't get to have that back, you know, and it's, it's mm-hmm. great to, I always like to give back as much as possible. If, if it's some kind of advice or, you know, there's some kids who we're working with, with the research experience for undergrads right now. And mm-hmm. that, you know, those are people who they don't know what the hell they're going to do. They're 19 and 20 years old. Yeah. They bear like when I was 19, I, you know, I didn't even, I hadn't done any research or anything, or I didn't even let it cross my mind. I was busy like going, out to the beach and over the summer or going going to parties or something or like just trying to like generally you know just I, that and if looking back now that's a waste of time but at the time it was uh-huh. the most important thing yeah so it's it's crazy how priorities change when you realize you can contribute so much more with your life uh-huh. um okay so and essentially uh we're, we're gonna hit our homing clothes now so um, I, I'm really curious as to a few things. First of all, uh, can I say something? Real quick? Yeah. Uh, given what we had discussed, if I can recontextualize sort of my answer about my obstacles, I guess it would be uh, my anxiety and uh-huh. my pride. Those were the obstacles I had to overcome. Oh, pride by okay. asking people for help, right? right, right and right. anxiety or nervousness just by saying yes to getting involved in things, even when I didn't want to. 
Well, I mean, I, I would say there's a certain level of anxiety. A, uh, oh man, if you want to talk about anxiety, you should have seen the anxiety I had getting off that plane. <laughs> oh god, that sounds uh, like something to see. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I, I don't think I've ever freaked out like in my entire life that bad. I wasn't like hyperventilating, but anxiety mm-hmm. was, you know, and I and it's an here, existential thing. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and and here's the thing is, I think anxiety. Uh, I and here's uh, something that I've kind of picked up on is. I feel like a lot of people deal with a lot of anxiety these days because it, it was an interesting theory I, I had heard about, and it, it's that um, now that we're in this age of society where we're not um, we're not hunter gatherers, mm-hmm. so we're not just running around trying to kill things. We're not just sedentary people where we have to literally grow our own stuff. We're in societies now where people are now so striated. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have things that we we every day have to like work on consistently. So people have lost a sense of purpose. Yeah, and this is consistent across the board. And you know, it's only exacerbated by social media, exacerbated by the 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 so called uh, perceptual differences between each of us. And what I think happens is the anxiety for not 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 even just saying like yours or or any like mine or anything, but. The anxiety that people feel is that they don't feel like they have any worthwhile purpose. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping to strive with all of these stories that I'm trying to get together is I'm not going to say that we're going to relieve anxiety with stories. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping that someone can get some purpose so so as to relieve their anxiety. Because, you know, like there's going to be things you're anxious about all the time. You have to give a presentation in front of 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's always going to be nerve-wracking. Yeah. You, you need to go and ask somebody to marry you. That's yeah. always going to be nerve-wracking. <laughs> you know, you need to get on that roller coaster and it's scary. That's always <laughs> going to be anxiety, right? Yeah. But for these things, when we're making life decisions, I want to be able to imbue people with a sense that it's, you're not the only person who has this. Oh yeah. You're not the only person. You're not suffering on your own. And so I think it's great to just say, yeah, people, I like, I, I get anxious about stuff. You get anxious about stuff, but everybody has stuff they get anxious about and it's mm-hmm. okay to talk to people. It's okay to go look for help. And most importantly, you know, you're going to feel anxious when you're in places that are unfamiliar, situations that are unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. I would hope that you never get to the point where you're not anxious about asking someone to marry you because you probably have now done it multiple times, <laughs> you know, like, oh, yikes. maybe a little too content. Yeah. You know, like, or, you know, you've tried a little bit, you've done too many things in, in that category. So, um, <clears throat> but in, in, in essence, uh, I kind of want to like uh, discuss what has this career and lifestyle provided you that you didn't really feel or you didn't know that it would? For example, yeah. you know, how, how has this affected you in ways that you didn't expect? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned purpose. I, I mean, frankly, that, that is a lot of, of what my career has given me and okay. I would recommend it to anyone in grad school. I think we are at the point, like you say, where things, people have sort of lost track of their purpose, at least in, in a career uh, environment, because, you know, think of us as cogs in the machine, yeah. everyone's working for the man, right. uh, academia gives you some freedom there. I get to pick what I'm doing, and I, I am there, especially now that I'm later in my PhD from 9 to 5, but, you know, maybe I want to write, work on writing today, maybe I want to do this thing in the lab, maybe yeah. I want to go over and, and polish, or maybe I want to read things. Uh, each day is different. I think that's crucial. I think every uh, outside of academia, probably everyone's days are a little too similar one to the next. Right. And that, that just grinds on you, you know? Yeah. You do that for 30 years and it just wears you down. Right, right, right. Uh, but if you, if you can f- somehow get lucky enough to find a way to a career that you're passionate about, that you exert a, a modicum of control over mm-hmm. with your, your schedule and everything, I, I think that makes a huge difference in your satisfaction. Cool, cool. Okay, so now this is going to be like really getting into the depth territory, so hopefully you'll be able to share. But uh, what is your perception of a meaningful and successful life? Mm-hmm. And how has that changed over time? Yeah. Uh, again, just going back to kind of how careers are nowadays, I feel like in the, in the past you used to have artisans. You had people who right. they would make furniture, right? Mm-hmm. And they would do their best. They would... They would put their time and their life force into it. Mm. And I think we've, we've lost sort of that feeling of doing work um, that makes you feel good, um, either, either as a hobby, you know, not necessarily as a career. You see people on Etsy, you see people on, on right. YouTube. I think they're sort of the modern equivalent of, uh, of those artisans. But we're, we're so focused nowadays on things that are easily measured in terms of money value that we've lost track of things that matter in terms of time value, like 
just the effort and and the man hours that you put into something mm. um because those are the things that end up being most valuable does anyone despite all of the work that goes into an iphone does anyone care about like handing it down to their grandchildren no, no. but no. a table that your grandfather like made like that's a family uh, heirloom that's, right that's interesting I, I i like that analogy because it's like the thing that you mean, it's like, yeah, like this, this thing that actually, you know, we, we buy, it's like, you know, if you really think about it, it'll probably be, you know, one of them will probably be preserved in, in history for someone to be like, oh, this was the iPhone. It'll yeah. Be, it'll be in a museum. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, we, we don't care unless it was like, oh, I really put the time and the effort into this. And like, it's crafting your life that almost is like, you know, your magnum opus kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. what really you pass down. You pass down the stories from your experience or, you know, some that some of it actually does yield some, uh, concrete things you know for example your grandfather was an artisan he made a beautiful table and that gets passed down and down and down it's like you know that that table's been in our family for generations kind of thing you know or that house has been in our family for generations or mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. so i feel like that that does you know that does play a role and so i feel like that's that's really important for people to sort of get a sense of that in order for their evaluation um, for what they should evaluate in terms of a successful and meaningful life. Mm-hmm. So I like that you mentioned that phrase crafting your life because that gives the, the thing that makes something a craft versus an industry is whether it's individual, right? Right. whether it's unique mm-hmm. and your life should be unique. You don't want to necessarily just go down the career pipeline you're supposed to. You want to make mistakes and you want to learn from them and you want to end up specializing in something that no one else has and that makes you more valuable right. and more happy, I think. No, indeed. And I feel like it's, it's we, we, you know, we all want somebody to, uh, intrinsically we all want somebody to tell us what to do, not all of us, but there's a lot of people who want people to just tell them what to do so that they could just Especially figure early out. On, yeah. yeah you, just want, you just want people to help you figure out your life because, you you know, like you, you don't know. You don't, you don't know what to do and you're questioning. But everybody's life experience is unique so you can't just take that and run with it you can't just say like look i'm just gonna make my research in in x because that's going to take me to y you know like Mm -hmm. that's not how that works and and besides someone has already done it before you need to figure out how to do your own thing so that you can be that person's inspiration to go from that place to another place you know your life story could be the crux upon which people decide whether to go and pursue their own opportunities their own you know, uh, you know, their own goals and things like that. And so mm-hmm. I think it's very important for you for the pursuit of that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the final portion here, obviously you've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I like to do this turn back time portion. So I like to discuss, you know, and you've, you've alluded to a few of these now, but mm-hmm. if you go back, yeah. say you, you go back and do the Tim Brown adventure all over again. What, what are the, where are the points that you say that you would, would like to go back and, you know, like, what could you have done differently? Sure. Uh, going back maybe even all the way to high school. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things, like I said, I, I, I was just generally good at classwork and tests. And so I, I would sort of, I would do the, the bare minimum to, to get the grade. You know, I wouldn't have to study all that much. Right. And I think there's, there's something very difficult to get over with how, uh, especially public education is structured, which mm. is that there is so much more than what you learn in the classroom. Right. And if you find a topic that really interests you, like, uh, especially, I, I think one of the problems with science and math textbooks is you have uh, theorem after theorem or you discovery after discovery. Mm-hmm. Read about the history of it. Some of the people are so fascinating and like you can get a sense for the problems they were thinking about and the problems they encountered in their own life and how they eventually overcame it. And I think that's super inspiring. So one uh, fun thing I was reading recently uh, in my work and studying uh, materials that transform phase transformations, we study symmetry. So uh, basically how the atoms are arranged in space, and there's a mathematical theory for this called group theory, uh, but the developer of it was, uh, I believe, Everest Galois, mm. and he basically, uh, he was <laughs> a major political hothead. He, uh, <laughs> he was involved with the French Revolution, oh, okay. and so he actually invented this, this super powerful uh, abstract theory, group right. theory, while he was in jail. And then he died a couple days later. And the mathematical community would not like accept this at all. It was so novel um, that his friend had to fight for like years and years for it to eventually become accepted. But like that's, you know, now, now group theory isn't just this thing that's telling me about symmetry. Right. It's, it's the brainchild of this guy who lived a life and was maybe a little overpassionate yeah. because he ended up dying in prison. But like 
he's real to me now because I know that history. So I would look into stuff like that yeah. way more. Interesting. Actually, that, that I find that interesting because you know that they say like people hang on right until like for the last moment so they can see their family and friends and then they, they pass away. Mm-hmm. It literally seems like this guy just like that was the thing he needed to do and that was like the last <laughs> thing he needed to do. And just, <laughs> you know. Game over. I'm done with this. Uh-huh. You know, peace out, life. But mm-hmm. um, that's why. That's why I feel like uh, something like that's so interesting because it's just like a, a guy like that um, could be in jail and basically do something productive, incredibly productive. And people yeah. complain about. First of all, I like to talk about like people being in prisons of their own making anyway. Mm-hmm. So like people always like to cry about like you know their, their own their own issues and it's like you, you have it really good mm-hmm. but you somehow have turned your life into a hell mm-hmm. uh you know and i'm not saying like maybe maybe you do have some psychological issues and i'm not trying to you know mm-hmm. give people you know crap about that but i i do want to say that you know if, if you're complaining that someone at starbucks messed up your order <laughs> and it ruined the rest of your day yeah talk about this guy who was in jail how big is your world yeah, yeah or you know like how you know how big are you really like you uh-huh, know, are you uh-huh. re- are you can you face the challenges of the day yeah. you know and, and it's just like oh this person didn't text me back i'm mad now it's like really like yeah that really that really like me you know that's ruining your day right now what you know, there's people out there who literally, like, they don't even have phones. Like, they literally sit there, and they're, they're barely living day to day, and you don't see them complain. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they just handle it. And so, you know, I, I feel like there, there's something to be said about the, the mental fortitude and the strength uh, that, that is afforded in, in that. So, mm-hmm. um, in any case, I believe that we have run a little bit over on our time, but I'd really like to say thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we've had some really interesting insights and I've had a great conversation with you. So uh, thanks again. Thanks very much for having me. All right. Well, thank you everyone for uh, you know taking the time to listen to us today. And uh, please catch us on the next episode of the podcast where we'll be, we'll be discussing, uh, you know, just another tentative subject, just simply just like this. So have a great day and thank you once again.